KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So how could the COVID-19 pandemic change things long term in a city like Philadelphia? Well, we gamed this out as we had a great discussion with Harris Steinberg. He is the executive director for the Lindy Institute for Urban Innovation at Drexel University. And we kind of talked about how difficult the short term is going to be for a city like Philadelphia, what kind of changes we could see. We kind of tie a lot of different aspects all together. Turned out really well. Give a listen. So let's start talking relatively short term here. We're two months into this pandemic turning life upside down. How tough are the next year, 18 months going to be for cities in general, maybe Philadelphia in particular? I think they're going to be really hard. I mean, not only is the fiscal situation dire for the city itself, but we know unemployment is surging. We know small businesses are folding. And we know that it's going to take a year to 18 months to possibly have a vaccine and whether or not it's going to be widely distributed at that time, I think we'll determine whether or not we get back to a new normal. So it's going to be a long time. It's going to be painful. How do you think Philadelphia is positioned if you're looking kind of generally at big cities in the U.S.? Is, do you expect Philadelphia to be hit harder on multiple fronts here in the short term? middle of the road, maybe emerge a a little less unscathed. I'm not talking about illness and stuff like that, but just kind of overall health of the city. Yeah, well, I think Philadelphia's um, dependence on business tax and wage tax is going to hit it hard. And you've seen that in the mayor's budget. So I think uh, as a city government, it's, it's going to be difficult without support. I think Philadelphia as a city, if you look at the conditions before the pandemic, we really had, we were on the rise, right? We were growing, albeit a little bit slowly, kind of towards the end of the of, uh, the decade. We had a great restaurant scene. We had young people moving in. We had a lot of development. We had property values that were rising. We had a desirable quality of life. I don't think all that's going to necessarily change in the long run, and it puts us in good stead to pick up, but it's really going to be that interim and how long that interim is, and what's the collateral damage within that interim? That is the looming question. One of the things that's interesting is so many people have been working from home through this pandemic. And I think one thing we've learned going forward is that's going to become the new normal for a lot of people. How does that change things with fewer people commuting into the city, people that work from home, stuff like that, as far as uh, the outlook for the city? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know the statistics on how many people were working from home already. I mean, there, there was a telecommuting community to begin with. I myself, over the past three years, have had two back surgeries. So I've essentially worked from home for three years and have been as productive as I've ever been. So I, I get it and I understand it. But we're social animals. And I think ultimately, like anything that we're going to try to prognosticate about, we're going to want to be together in the future. It doesn't mean all the time, and there'll be probably conditions where we'll, we'll work remotely, but sporting events, concerts, uh, you know, just kind of gathering in the city, going to restaurants, that's the lifeblood of who we are as people. And uh, we're, we're going to get back there. It's really just a question of, 
of, again, what's the interim? And, and working from home, I think, has been the silver lining. The, the fact that we have the technology to do this, that you and I can talk over Zoom as if we're you know, next door to each other, that we can work and be productive, uh, is, it's almost seamless. It's in, in a scary way. I mean, at Drexel, uh, the administration literally shut down the universities, shifted to online and telecommuted almost within a week. And that's a, you know, you're talking about uh, tens of thousands of people and, and students all over the place. So it was an impressive operation. But without the technology, we would have been uh, in the Middle Ages, literally. We'd be kind of home just waiting it out. I think there is going to be a certain percentage that work from home going forward that didn't before. Even if it's not five days a week, maybe somebody that came into the office five days now only comes Abs- in. Absolutely. So, and I think it will just be much more accepted as a, a standard you know, option, right? Right. So I think that begs the question, in addition to businesses that are closing and being shuttered for economic reasons, you're going to have places that built office space, say, for 500 employees that all of a sudden now probably only need 150 do you think this is going to change the the landscape of commercial office real estate space in the city and how it's designed and, and what it looks like? Again, I, I think in the short run, it's definitely going to have an impact. It's really hard to, to, to kind of determine what the long-term impact is, but you can only look back in history. So after 9-11, uh, there was, the, you know, the cry went out that everyone's going to be leaving New York City. They're going to uh, the burbs. Uh, no one's going to want to be in Manhattan. Well, you know, nearly 20 years later, pre-COVID, that was not the case. Manhattan was as, you know, uh, as crowded as ever and as desirable as ever. So I really do believe that there's going to be a short-term, long-term. Yes, we're going to create new, we're going to absorb new habits, we're going to make what was innovative at one time the, the norm. But ultimately, I do believe, and this is going back to the Great Fire in London, Chicago's fire. I mean, we, we rebuild. Cities are going to come back, and it's ultimately kind of these dense clusters of innovation that kind of drive the economy that uh, we're going to continue to create. Now, that's why I think Philadelphia is in a great place, ultimately. It's going to be painful. It's going to be, we don't know how long, but uh, we'll be back. What about mass transit? I mean, same thing. Yeah, I mean, really. the last two months, it's been crippling. off a cliff. Yeah, crippling. But what would, you know, I mean, I live in Jersey. I was taking the train into the city, and I've been working for a home for a month and a half. I don't know if that's going to continue long term, but I would think even if 20% of your commuters from the suburbs are from Jersey are working from home and aren't taking mass transit, you put that on top of what the last the the donut that the last couple months have been do you see long-term changes for mass transit as a result of all this you know i hate to sound like a broken record so i but i definitely think that in the short run there's going to be pain and there's going to be a lot more uh particularly you know parking and traffic issues as people in the shift are more comfortable taking a single occupancy vehicle as we call it than mass transit ultimately whatever the form of transit that, that develops in the future, we're going to want to rely on that just for the future of the planet and for the future health of the city. So I, I would still bet on, on mass transit in the future, um, but there's no question that come September, if we're going back to campus, a lot more people are going to be driving than they would uh, normally. You mentioned earlier the, the kind of the tax structure in Philadelphia. Do you think 
this situation is going to make city officials reevaluate taxes and maybe get focus on different things to kind of change the revenue stream? I think it's certainly an opportunity. Um, a colleague of mine is a big proponent of a land tax, for instance. Land doesn't move, you know, people can. So and that's been in the, in the air for a while now. It's not unique. But I think there is the opportunity for Philadelphia to rethink tax policy. I don't know if they have the stretch to, to do it right now. It's, you know, it's crisis management. It's all responding to kind of the looming issues of the day. But as we kind of move into the second or third phase, wherever we're headed, uh, that would be, in my mind, a significant place to put some effort. How about green space in the city? There's a lot of focus now on, you know, restaurants that can seat you outdoors and stuff like that. And do you see a any kind of a shift, obviously short term, but do you think we could see more green space, green space utilized in different ways? Does this give us an opportunity for something like that? Uh, yes, I'd very much like to see um, kind of, you know, us think about the future of green space as it relates to the to the pandemic. One of the classes I'm teaching at Drexel this term actually is looking at the uh, PES refinery on the Lower Schuylkill, 1,400 acres of Lower Schuylkill industrial land that uh, is, is now bankrupt and most likely will uh, be sold to a, an outfit called Hilco in Chicago that will redevelop it as a logistics hub. But there's more land there than in Center City. At 1,400 acres, it's 200 acres larger than Center City. It can support a lot of different things. And a good portion of it will be underwater in the next 50 to 100 years because of climate change and sea level rise. So there's an opportunity there to think of some significant acquisitions to the park system. And then when you think about what we, we learned from the COVID crisis, certain parts of the city did not have access to park space like others did. And so you had a real sort of disproportionate, unequal kind of access to green space, uh, and, and you had parts of the city kind of clamoring to open up streets that could then be used for recreation. So I think Philadelphia, which has a wonderful history of, of urban parks, is a great steward of the, of, of the environment, has an opportunity to really expand the park system in a way that's much more democratic and egalitarian in response to what we know now are the needs of the pandemic to be able to get outside, have enough space to stretch, not worry if that biker is going to spit in your face. <laughs> and, uh, um, and really, I think leverage an asset which is you know, irreplaceable, which is our park system. How about the overall college community? I mean, so much of Philadelphia is driven by colleges. What do you think the next couple of years are, are going to look like because I think that is a place where short term and long term are kind of married because yeah. decisions are going to have to be made in the short term based on situations, be it health wise, be it financial, are going to, to lead into the into the future as well. There's a lot of thought being given to that right now. And truthfully, those conversations were already happening before COVID because there is a a decline in enrollment that's anticipated in 2026 because of kind of demographics. So the future of higher education, the cost of higher education, the cost of residential campuses are all being kind of considered at a very high level. I think COVID has just put that all into kind of sharp relief and made us kind of really think short term about how do we reopen in a way that's safe because a college without a campus in many ways is an oxymoron. I mean, no, we have, distance learning, we have online education, but going back to our original comments about we're social creatures, they're, they're, you can't replace being together. 
even though you know technology has been absolutely remarkable. So rethinking the college experience and figuring out what the freshman experience is in, in a pandemic, how much do we have to kind of, how much comfort does a family have to have to, bring, to send their students back? Will all, I think, be calibrated to how, uh, it, whether or not there's a surge in the pandemic as we reopen this summer. So it's almost a, a very kind of subtle calibration that has to be done in real time. But the expectation is for many colleges, and I believe for mine as well, that, um, that we'll be on campus in one way, shape, or another uh, in the fall with a, um, a hybrid model. So there'll be some residential life, there'll be some on-campus learning, there'll be some events, but there'll also be distance learning, uh, di- you know, social distance. I don't know if you've seen um, some of the pictures coming out of San Francisco and New York, but they, they had actually circles drawn on, on, on grass and parks of where people could sit so that you can actually be six feet apart. It's like being standing in line at the supermarket. So I think we're going to invent those kind of accommodations in order for us to, you know, get out of quarantine, which is pretty much driving everyone up the wall. It's interesting. Going back to the commercial or the real estate and stuff like that, one of the interesting things is we've talked in general, you've heard the decline of the mall, you know, OPP with the stuff like that. But one of the interesting offshoots of that, I know there are malls now that house courthouses or they house doctor's offices. All of a sudden, it's not all retail. It's multi-use. Right. Do you think this situation could lead to some creative problem solving like that with with spaces outdoor and indoor where we kind of see things start to, to meld or, or things put in places we wouldn't have necessarily thought of it originally? Absolutely. And, and, and I think you're right on in terms of that observation. The financial crisis of the late um, you know, 2000s, which was heavily focused on real estate, saw a lot of malls that went underwater. And the conversation then was, how do we repurpose these for a variety of different uses? And I think some of the, the examples you're talking about, in part, grew out of that response to, to that crisis. In Philadelphia, similar, but not exactly the same. Uh, in the 90s, as you remember, as we were kind of struggling to get out of bankruptcy, and as Center City really was kind of on its last, not, I wouldn't say last dying breath, but it was really struggling. Uh, a couple of folks, including Paul Levy of the Center City District, noticed that while there was ground floor retail that was somewhat active, you had dark um, space above where people had left the city, either whether there was commercial or other uses. And so that began, along with other sort of tax policy, the, regener- the, the renaissance of Center City in, in many ways. As we began to think of new uses for those Class B or Class C office spaces, they became residential. So a lot of the renaissance of, of uh, of center city Philadelphia in part was spurred by the changes in office uh, landscape, the uh, tax abatement that allowed these buildings to be converted into residential. And then ultimately uh, uh, kind of merging with just the Renaissance of cities in general across the country. Is there an aspect of the city or city life that we haven't talked about that is maybe kind of an off the radar concept that isn't something that would immediately come to mind, but you think could be significantly changed in the future going forward? Because I think we talked off the air about this, how there are so many things you pull the string and it leads to four other strings and stuff like that. Yeah. Is there an aspect of that, that that's maybe something that we wouldn't necessarily catalog in a conversation like this? It's a great question. And it's truthfully one that I've been trying to figure out in part with my students, but also uh, just in some of the work I'm doing. 
And I say this because so much of what we love about Philadelphia in many ways was a reaction to or lessons learned from past crises. So uh, William Penn's plan for Philadelphia, which was first conceived in 1681, was a direct result of lessons learned from the Great Fire of London in 1666. So the brick row house was actually a fireproof housing type that because London was all wood, William Penn and others learned, hey, we have to build with different material. So that which kind of makes up the general character of Philadelphia is actually a response to a a public health crisis, which is really pretty cool. Uh, In the late 1700s and early 1800s, we had yellow fever epidemics in Philadelphia. You might recall uh, George Washington had to kind of retreat to Germantown, take the the capital up there. Um, That precipitated the creation of the first municipal water supply system in in the country. The waterworks pumping water up to the plateau where the art museum is now and then gravity feeding the city was a direct result of what was seen as a public health crisis. We then enlarged that system to create Fairmount Park, which was created to protect the water supply, which still feeds a million people a day. So the question is, what's our response post-COVID? You know, how are we going to kind of, and that's why I'm thinking about these public spaces, particularly the vast lands along the lower Schuylkill, as opportunities for kind of democratizing and and really kind of creating a larger um, kind of network. When you think of seeing essentially uh, field hospitals in in Central Park in New York, I mean, who would have ever imagined that in in our, ever, right, except in science fiction? What's our corollary? Where do we need that kind of surge and flex space? So I think those are the kind of things we need to start thinking about as we rebuild. But I don't yet know exactly, other than I think a more connected uh, public space system. I do believe that that's a, that's a real need. Uh, I don't think we've yet kind of grasped exactly what the, uh, where we go from this kind of moving forward. And final question or, or final observation overall, just from the tone of your conversation, you seem very... A positive that this city will not only overcome this, but that yeah. it could learn from it and brighter, even brighter days would be ahead. Now, when? Ab- is, absolutely. You know. Yeah. I mean, we have extremely strong uh, institutions, universities, medical centers. I mean, that, that that's really the the crux of what saved Philadelphia from the dark days of the 90s was what we call the Eds and Meds. You know, we have a, 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 a kind of ascending kind of tech uh, sector with Comcast and kind of its orbit. We have dominance in gene therapy. We have connection. You know, so I mean, there's a, there's a strong economic um, kind of headwind that we already were riding. We have a, a strong innovation economy. We have, particularly in my institution of Drexel, strong leadership in terms of kind of merging kind of the academic, the civic, and the and the business world. So there's a lot of assets for us to build on. It's really a question of getting through the next year and a half, two years. We don't exactly know what, but I think we will. And, and history tells us that cities not only survive, but they thrive, they learn, they adapt, they innovate, uh, and they will continue to be hubs of, of innovation and social and civic activity in perpetuity until there's not a human race is is kind of how I see it. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. 
Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. Thank you.